The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Welcome to episode number 377 of On the Corner, the official PitcherList.com podcast. I'm your host, Alex Fast, joined as always by the, I think I've done this one before, but I'm going to do it again. Very giddy, Nick Pollock. Nick, I'm going to say no, by the pro, by the PL pro, <laughs> Nick Pollock. Nick, how you doing? What is happening? Yeah. Okay. So uh, I am, I am so giddy. It is true. We have, uh, if you're listening to this, it's the, it's launch day of PL pro, February 21st, 2023. Um, and I'm so excited because, you know, as you make projections, uh, you go through a lot of things. You've got a stew, you know, and you're, you got the ladle, you got the spoon. Sure. And it never tastes quite right until the very last ingredient, right? Until right before it gets served. And I saw them today in the final batch and they are awesome. I, mm-hmm. it's, it's everything that I wanted them to be where they are they look like your you know your standard projection system and everything um but it's a little twisted with plv and uh we have that flavor where we have some outliers that are going to be different from other people they're we're a sure. little more aggressive on certain things um i mean tristan mckenzie and tony gonson's era might shock you a little bit mm. um but we are uh but it's different and that's really cool it looks like they're normal projections but they're a little bit different. And uh, and we're going to have a whole episode dedicated to PL Pro projections um, later today. I'm um, talking about all that kind of stuff. But those that are curious right curious right now, what we've done, we've created this, this PLV metric. It's a pitch quantifier. And then we made a whole projection system out of that, which is a simulator. Then we took um, ATC and we made this lovely blend, essentially using ATC to say, hey, like let's just have some normalization of all of this stuff. So we still have all of the projections we made with PLV, but now we have it in a form that is more recognizable. And, and with, of course, ATC, which is, um, you know, the award-winning projection system that is an aggregate of the best ones. We are really utilizing that too. And then making this really amazing projection system. That's very unique and different. So I'm so excited to get this in your hands. I think it will help you guys out a ton in your fantasy seasons. And uh, yeah, I'm just so giddy. I I, I can't wait. It, it's it's here fast. It's it's gonna be awesome. I was taking a look at them earlier. It's the uh, 
I, are you having moments where you're looking at them and you're thinking like, oh, I gotta, I gotta raise this guy, <laughs> I gotta lower this guy. You've got to be right. I mean, a little bit, um, but at the same time, you know, projection systems are not my my way for twelve teamers, right? What's my way? It's not a best ball league. It's mm-hmm. you have to draft to uh, a twelve teamer and having those strategies and the aggregate, you know, like the the middle situation is not really the best representation like you see like Reed Detmers I'm going to be more aggressive than this projection is going to have a Reed Detmers but boy does it like certain people and I just think "Mm, maybe I am going to be a little bit more in on these guys oh by the way I just got to say there are certain players and I'll highlight this in the article that comes out tomorrow that uh, and also in our podcast that I just go I feel like uh, one of my favorite characters in all of television Raymond Holt um, from Brooklyn Nine Nine, him shouting vindication. Mm, yeah, uh, yeah. As I see this projection, I'm just like, exactly right. You know it. You know it. It's so good. I love that'll it. be a fun thing for us to do tomorrow. Maybe we'll do that. We'll we'll look at some of these guys. We'll say we'll scream vindicated for the guys that we feel that that's exactly on, and then we'll take some over unders, right? Because projection yeah. systems are projection <laughs> systems, and some we're gonna take the over, some we're gonna take the under on here. Right? It's so funny. I'm like taking a victory lap on a projection system. Like, what I is know, that's the stupidest thing ever? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, this computer thinks I'm right. Uh, it's an award winning computer, though. Thanks, sorry. Yeah, oh, there it's it very is. exciting to have that. So, uh, you know, you might be listening to this and thinking, wait a minute, we, 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 I've got this content tomorrow. I've got that content. We've got all kinds of content coming. Coming up for you. We got the 100 through 200 today. Nick's 100 through 200 pitchers. At some point, we'll do 200 through 300. We have the projection yeah. systems we're going to be talking about. We're going to be talking about my top 100 at some point. We're going to be yeah, talking about we were our just draft kit. This out. Yeah, huh? we were just planning oh, we were all just this plan- out. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's great. Lot. It's a lot of um, great stuff. You guys, we have, have so much. We have so much content. We even have Ian Khan's tent for sale that you can go and get at the PL store. I'm just kidding. What? Yeah. No. Ian content. No, that one a little bit of a stretch, a little stretch on that one. He, he had me, uh, and then just out the door. But all right, so we, we give you a hint of all the great things that you can expect that yes, are going to help sorry. you get ready for draft season because it's upon us. I mean, we this is spring training in earnest. Games begin this week. WBC oh is coming up too, but relatively soon. I mean, I believe that this is the last week was the last week with no baseball until November. So you just got to yeah, let's go that WBC is coming. Oh, man. Uh, but all right, let's, you know, we've taken so much time. Uh, let's actually talk about the thing on hand today, which is the back half of the top 200. Even though there are 300, we're going to talk about 100 through 200 today. And where are we fast? Who's up? So next? we're going to there's 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 a. Uh, you know, a small caveat about this before we begin. 100 sure. through 200 is a lot of fun, especially 100 through 150, because that's where you're going to see a lot of guys who appear on other people's top 100s that might not have missed the cut, right? And while the variability isn't great in top 100s and the top 50, right? Sandy Alcantara might be a two for some people and a seven for some people, whatever. The variability really starts to get fun and intense here. Uh, And that's why I kind of like this realm. There are some people on here that have already kind of fallen by the wayside, right? And we'll, you know, there are a few of those like AJ Puck, we don't really need to talk about. I think Aaron Ashby, I don't, I think he's sadly dealing, isn't he dealing with an injury? Yeah, he's no, he's got shoulder stuff. Uh, Frankie Montes um, as well. I mean, Frankie Montes is already out of it, I think, at the top 100, but Ashby is now. And I I mean, (laughs) it, 
they're out of it already. Ashby was in the 110 to 120 tier, I think, of like, hey, if they're starting. So it it's kind of, I don't know, I don't need to adjust too much. But yeah, that's a really sad thing. But even guys like Sixto Sanchez, who I think I saw in the mining the news a couple of days ago, was he was like, I'm sitting 89 or something. He was like, I'm throwing at 75%. And I think that was Sixto Sanchez that he was talking about. And Jeff Sermon had a very funny you know, message in his thing where he was like, only only eight only eight more miles an hour to go before he sits where he usually <laughs> sits. You're like, oh, God, no. Uh, all right, but let's go ahead and kick off. I mean, while number 100 didn't usually get you as excited as uh, as it usually does, number 101 may, it may do that. And that's Matthew Boyd, who is back in Detroit. You know, some conversations about him, uh, revamping that change up a little bit, which was a pitch that was like one of the reasons we originally fell so deeply in love oh, with Matthew man, Boyd yeah. and became Boyd Boys because of these change ups we saw in spring training against DJ LeMakeu. He seems like he's healthy going into camp, fully healthy. Um, had a little bit of a weird career trajectory where he, you know, went to San Francisco for a little while, then went to the Mariners where he he pitched in relief, didn't appear in any games for or for San Francisco. And then now again, back with with uh, Detroit and Chris Fetter, that fantastic pitching coach. So there's a lot to be said there. Is this just a guy in Matthew Boy that you're going to be watching in spring training and seeing what his velo is and then maybe taking a, a late, late dart on? I don't know if I'm going to actually draft Matthew Boyd. Um, he's certainly someone who I want to see sitting 92 93 i also want to see a slider getting whiffs like it used to that was a huge thing where he even talks about losing his slider uh after focusing so much on the curve and then the change up so hopefully matthew boyd gets both of those assets back in the spring if he's having such a successful spring and it's like this with a lot of pretty much all of these guys if they have such a good spring i might take a chance in that later upside grouping that i have around the 80s or so and push them up Though I don't expect myself to go after Boyd. I don't like the Tigers' early schedule either. I don't think it's a situation where I feel like I need to get it out of my draft. I would be watching early in the season, though, with Matthew Boyd. Okay. Um, the next guy that I wanted to talk about is a, is a... You never know what to do with guys like this. Uh, it's Shintaro Fujinami, uh, the new pitcher for the Oakland Athletics. You know, kind of like Kodai Senga, we're just going off of what we've heard about in Arsenal and the metrics that we have seen them put up in what is essentially the equivalent of AAA, right? Of all the of all the foreign leagues, uh, the uh, NPB is the closest league to the MLB, right? It's still a little bit of a mm-hmm. far cry, but you know that that's the smallest jump. Whereas the KBO to the MLB is pretty considerable. The Taiwan Taiwan League would be a, a much bigger jump. We have seen some good numbers uh, outside of Shintaro Fujinami when he was over at the Hanshin Tigers in Japan. Um, but again, there wasn't really anything that like, you know, blew you away metrically over in Japan. He does sit upper 90s with the heater, which is nice, and apparently boasts, you know, another guy who boasts a, a, a pretty good splitter. But this isn't someone who, like Kodai Senga, we heard a lot about, right? This wasn't like a top Japanese prospect that we were so excited to have him posted. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, Oakland says, yeah, that's our guy. Is this just someone you think could be a good pitcher, but not maybe a good fantasy relevant pitcher? Yeah, we'll see. I mean, Drew Rosinski and Shintaro Fujinami are both fascinating uh, arms for fantasy for the Oakland Athletics this year. 
I don't know what we're going to get from either one. I'm so interested to watch them both during the spring. It does feel like Fujinami has more of that ceiling as he has that splitter. There's a lot of talk about the, the multitude of pitches that he has. Uh, he throws hard. I don't know if uh, he has the right VAA, that is the right release, for uh, an effective four-seamer to get a ton of whiffs. He is six foot six. This is all me just hearing basic sure. sentences, you know, in scouting reports and trying to put things together. I don't actually know his VAA. I haven't really been able to focus on his delivery a ton. Uh, so I'm really excited to see if he's able to elevate four-seamers and get whiffs on that. Until then, I think it's just an outside. Sure, let's just kind of see what happens. In deeper leagues, I might want to take a chance because it does. I think like the entire Oakland Athletics rotation are a bunch of sleepers that we're just overlooking. It's like this every year. There's some bad team that is a team that won't get a lot of wins. So they just get kind of pushed aside. But that does open the door for opportunity. And one of the huge things about unknowns, if you get a lot of opportunity, something will appear out of that. In some fashion. And so Kyle Muller is also there. Maybe something will happen there. Ken Waldachuk. Mm -hmm. uh, and there's Drew Rosinski and Fujinami. I don't know if either one will actually be 12-team relevant. It seems too much of a risk at this point to go and chase them. Rosinski feels like more of a Toby. Uh, from what I've seen, he had a 24% K rate in the KBO, about a 3 ERA. And it was a cheap $3 million a year for Rosinski. So mm -hmm. uh, one-year deal, I should say. That doesn't really seem like the most, I don't know, amazing pitcher, but it's something for us to monitor early on. And quickly, we could be stealing six inning games from Rusinski uh, if you need that in your league. So I, I like them in the sense of they're not getting drafted. They're not really getting touched much. There might be something here that we just don't know about. And at this point, after 100, they're still being a mystery box is a fun thing. Yeah. Um, that's all great analysis. Let's move on next, though, to Alex Wood, who obviously not a great year in San Francisco last year, ended up with a, a 510 ERA, albeit with a 376 FIP, which isn't too much of a far cry of the FIP that he put up in 2021, and an even better Sierra uh, that we saw from him, which is a little bit surprising considering we saw the, the, the K's drop overall, the swing strike rate drop overall. Um, there was a lot, there's a lot that points to positive regression when it comes to Alex Wood, obviously, right? Like a 64% left on base rate is not going to happen again for Alex Wood. Usually we relied on San Francisco to have a really good infield defense to kind of help him out there. But when you see a 64% left on base rate, a 315 BABIP, even if it is compared to his 303 career BABIP, you have to anticipate that there's going to be some positive regression there. You add in some other factors that, in a vacuum, these are things that we would be talking about positively for any other pitcher and that his his sinker uh, velocity was the, the highest of his career at 92.4 started going to that slider a little bit more, which is nice. The sinker boasts a, a, a fantastic PLV. I mean, it's in the what is it? It's in the 88th percentile, which is very good. The slider above average at 61st percentile in PLV. Although you seem to, be, I mean, I don't want to say you're out. 104 doesn't necessarily mean that you're out, but it does mean that you're not drafting him whatsoever. Is it just you're not buying those velocity gains along with the fact that the ceiling in innings wise is like 140, 150? So. I do want to emphasize a lot that there are so many intriguing pitchers. I mean, it's like that a lot of the time. But when I'm looking at my 12-teamers, I have to sift through them and say, okay, these are the ones that I want to take the chance on out of the gate. And if you know my theory about how you draft your starting pitchers, 
it's guys that I want to start right away. And Alex Wood, I don't necessarily want to start out of the gates because he gets the Yankees or the White Sox in his first start. Uh, and as a lefty against the White Sox, it's just kind of known they're good against lefties. It's still a good offense, I think, in uh, Chicago, especially with a healthy Tim Anderson, uh, Luis Robert, and Eli Jimenez all batting from the right side there against uh, Alex Wood. Um, also, I really want to mention, you say the left on base rate, and if someone can say, oh, look, his sinker had a 324 BABIP last year. That's slightly below you know, average there at a 43rd percentile. Well, guess what? His hit luck on his sinker was minus nine. He got fortunate on that sinker. So I don't really think there's going to be this huge regression uh, for for his BABIP 317, even though that was 18th percentile. I, I think this is still a problem that he has because he's so sinker focused. And that slider was not the big whiff pitch that we wanted it to be from 2021. 22% swing strike rate down to about 15% for Alex Wood. If he is going to be much better, it's going to be on that slider game back to what it was. So I, I, I'm not so encouraged that Alex Wood, despite his increased velocity last year, is still going to have that velocity or even get better from there. And with that tough matchup early on, with the Giants defense not being that good, Hmm. I am out out of the gate on Alex Wood, but he could be someone that I pick up quickly, especially if the matchups go his way. Let's stick with that theme of guys that if you see some encouraging news, you could really jump on very quick. And that's uh, number 106 in James Paxton. James Paxton, obviously just plagued by injury for quite some time now, if not just forever. Um, He is going through a normal spring training for the first time since 2019. Um, we, there were, you know, glimpses, there were, there were possibilities of the fact that he was going to make an appearance for the Red Sox at the end of last season, but again, got derailed by injury again, but apparently he threw a, a good amount of bullpens this off season. Like I said, feeling like he's going to have a relatively normal spring training. Is this just someone that, you know, right now, he, I don't think he's even really being drafted. I'll pull up the NFBC ADP as you uh, talk about your thoughts on him, but is he just another guy that you're just going to keep some tabs on? Because we know, like, this is what? This is top 40, top 30 potential, theoretically, but a lot has to go right if that's going to happen. Yeah, I, I, James Paxson might be the the main focus of my spring training. I mean, it's like Kodai Senga. I'm curious about Kenta Maeda and James Paxton, right? Because if Paxton's throwing 95 regularly with that cutter that he introduced at the end of his time in Seattle, and a good knuckle curve again. He's legit. Mm. <laughs> uh, it's just a matter of health, of course. And is he performing at that level? So he's 106 right now. It could fall from here because we see in spring training, he's sitting 92 and he doesn't get whiffs and it's just boring. And I have no interest in that. And then, of course, the health through the season on top of it. Or he's pumping Ched has a 6K one walk game in four innings or something like that. And I just go, okay, things are maybe looking good here. And he jumps up into my top 80 or so. Mm-hmm. So watch James Paxson. I know it's there's a lot of eye rolling about, oh, but is he healthy? All that kind of stuff. Yeah, I understand. I get it. But if he's actually performing in there, it doesn't matter. You don't need him for six months. This is after 100 and 12 teamers. He's not drafted. Yeah, This is the guy that can help you for a month, and that's great. Those are huge, huge benefits to your season. Those are the little things that people don't talk about enough in draft season are the guys that you pick up for like three weeks and do well, like the Chris Medlins of 2012 
who gave you a .79 ERA in the final like yeah. six weeks and won you your league, or Andrew Kashner did that one year, right? I mean, that's me going way back on this, but those are huge impact players. And it's not just at the end of the year, it's also in the beginning. You know, if you had Eric Lauer out of the gate last year, he had that 189 ERA that we talk about, or the sub two. Yeah. For the first like five, six starts, that was huge. Then if you got out after, you got out. And what do you know? Life is bliss. Maybe you get something like that from James Paxson concerning that he could be Mr. Irrelevant in your drafts. Yeah, you really could be. He's like pick 500. <laughs> like he's, he's well, like right, right now. There's, that's including like DCs and everything like that, which are best balls for the entire year. So I understand avoiding Paxton in those contexts. That's kind of surprising. Like if I'm getting around like pick 400 and I'm looking at like a high upside guy that I could just kind of leave on the bench the entire year if need be. Like, I don't know. Yeah. Paxton's, Paxton's kind of interesting. Rarely, I think, are you going to find that much, that many guys who have done it before um, all the way back there. Um, there are uh, 91 guys that we have to get to. No, I'm just kidding. We're not going to be able to get to all of them, of course. And we're going to get to <laughs> a good amount of them uh, right after this break. And we're back. We're going to jump right back in. Um, there was a man inside of the, I'm going to say the 100 top 10, the top 10 from 100 to 200, um, <laughs> who you had a passionate love affair with last year. Um, he got his own brand new nickname. Uh, he, he was sitting 96 and he was looking good. And now here we are. He's not even in the, the top 100. And that's Tylord McGill. Uh Another guy that theoretically with a job and uh, and uh, well, let's put it this way. If he does have a job, you find out he has a job. He's he's in. He's the number five for the Mets. No matter what, he wins a job in spring training. Where does that mm -hmm. put Tyler McGill for you? Oh, man. I mean, that's pre that's pretty good, uh, especially considering that the Mets opening schedule is fantastic. It's the Miami Marlins and then the Brewers mm -hmm. reverse that. No, no, I got it right. Yeah. Miami Marlins and the Brewers. Yeah. So. It's actually funny. He's the only one I purposely misspelled their name inside of the top 300. I added the D and made it link. Is this so still linked to, to his Ty name? Lord. Yeah, links to his name. Yeah. I made sure that happened fast. It's very lovely. I, I lean into my jokes now. Um, yeah, yeah. Yes. Uh, Ty Lord McGill. I, I see like a Brandon Woodruff type. He throws hard. 96, a really good fastball, and then a really nice slider and changeup. And those aren't exceptional secondary pitches. But if he is pumping that fastball like DeGrom's locations and then the slider paired up with it, we saw it work last year and then he got hurt and wasn't the same after. I really want to see him get his chances again. David Peterson might be the first one instead of Ty Lord, unfortunately. And it's it's not someone you should be drafting because, I mean, this whole tier, are the are they starting tier? And it's my way of highlighting, look, these are the ones that are just so interesting that you should be aware of. But probably you're going to get more value of the ones underneath. But if you want to look at the entirety of the season, these are the ones that, if you pick them up at the right time, could actually be a huge, huge uh, push of the needle for you. So Tyler McGill is, yeah, you could chunk 96 miles per hour and get tons of strikeouts across like six innings on a winning ball club. He's the kind of guy that you pump your fist that you picked up. He had a 15% swing strike rate. And 21.5% hard contact on a four-seamer last year. I mean, that's mm. that's legit stuff. You know, that's yeah. like we, how we talk about George Kirby's four-seamer, right? With better hard contact. Um, so I'm a fan there. 
Uh, I don't also want to skip very quickly. Steven Matz is kind of a sleeper. Ooh, Everyone's forgetting about that. Uh, very few innings last year, uh, under 50. PLV loves him. He plays on the Cardinals, who should still win a good amount of games there in the Central. They have Arenado and Goldschmidt behind him. I think that Steven Matz is... We were so excited about him coming to the Cardinals last year, right? Yeah. And then he got hurt, and he never really executed it. I think Steven Matz actually might be somebody you want to consider. I think our projection system is like, hey, he's he's like a better Toby almost. So um, don't overlook Steven Matz at the end of your drafts. Okay. Um, the other guys that we're talking about right now to are all, you know, you, you aptly talked about how the tier was people who are fighting for a job. There are some that we can say are likely headed to the bullpen. Taylor oh, yeah. Houck, Matt Brash, AJ Puck, we know heading to the bullpen. Yeah, it's Bailey funny. Gilbert. I added, I updated AJ Puck. It's 113 yeah. and a half. I love it. And I did it after we talked on it. And I was like, fine, I'll add this one because I never considered him as a starter. I thought he was just going to be really, but then all of a sudden a quote came out saying he's going to try and be a starter for the athletics. And then I think a day later he gets yeah, traded, traded to the Marlins. <laughs> Gone. Yeah. Like, why do I, why do I try guys? Why do I do this yeah. for you? I know this is, I mean, obviously, since we're out of the top 100, it gets very frustrating because these are guys who we're just not quite sure. Bailey Ober doesn't have a job right now. Oh, yeah. um, Ian Anderson would be fighting for the fifth spot with Mike Soroka. David Peterson doesn't have a job right now. That brings us to Ryan Nelson. So there was an interesting report that came out in the Mining the News on the 15th saying that the Diamondbacks are going to have Tommy Henry, Ryan Nelson, Dre Jameson, and Brandon Fat vying for the last rotation spot. Maybe it's, fought. I don't know if it's fought. It might be it's fought. fought. It's I fought. So. He answered us on Twitter. What a okay, wonderful good. guy. Uh, yes, that's fantastic. Um, so uh, Ryan Nelson, I believe, is the first to appear. Is there anyone that you're used to be big on Dre Jameson, though? Is there anyone you're kind of hoping wins that job? Ryan Nelson. Um, I mean, maybe Brandon Fought. I've heard great things from Chris Clegg. Uh, about him check out his article uh, that is a breakdown of Brandon fought uh, but Ryan Nelson I remember watching him last year and thinking huh I was yeah I was in on Dre Jameson because he was throwing super hard in spring training and then had those good starts against the Dodgers and the Padres and I realized wait a second his fastball has a sub 10% swing strike rate and the mm-hmm. slider command isn't good and the fastball velocity went down and so I wasn't very interested in Dre Jameson anymore too much lateral movement um, and by the way, I saw on Twitter, thank you so much for saying that Alex Vass doesn't understand axes because it is YM lock. And that's uh, true. It, <laughs> but then again, everyone at driveline agrees with me. So that's funny. Uh, yeah. Everyone no, at driveline yeah. just thought it was I think, nonsensical. I think you, but, exp- I th- you know, yeah, yeah. You're, you, it's probably the way that you were explaining it to them. Uh, anyway, yes, yes. Uh, yes, with the course. visuals that were presented on the pitchless page is how I explained it. But OK. Well, yeah, you brought it up, baby. You. you brought it up. You, yeah. You brought yeah, it up. The, the, yeah, I think there's some disconnect about you in driveline. Anyway, okay. Um, okay. so, but Ryan Nelson, uh, to me, had profiles out to have a better fastball. And then he had two breaking balls that actually impressed me when I saw him last year. But then he got hurt. So if he's healthy and ready to go, I'm kind of feeling like Ryan Nelson is a better option than Dre Jameson. I'm curious to see who gets that fifth spot. I, I understand it might be Zach Davies. I think if I got that right, Merrill Kelly, Madison Bumgarner, Zach Gallen. I uh, Zach Davies, I guess there is that fifth spot. So if it is Ryan Nelson, I'm kind of interested. We know that moving down to number 119, DL Hall, that he probably is going to start the year in the rotation. He's going to be stretched out to start in the rotation. Um, so we know that they're probably not going to go with the 
six-man rotation, they've said, but with the injuries to Dylan Tate, Felix Batista, um, I think there was one more that I'm missing. Oh, Nick Vespi. Uh, they're going to be a little light in the bullpen to begin the year. So I don't know if that means DL Hall starts in like a long relief type role. Of all these guys, he would be the least surprising for me to see him start uh, in the rotation, though. But even with that said, I just don't know if I really buy into the command necessarily being there. If DL Hall, let's do this again. If DL Hall starts the year, he's the five. Does he jump up? into the top 100 or are the command issues enough to say you know what i still need to see some more uh he might be in the top 100 just because of hey this is the flyer to take at the end of your draft and just to see what happens i i the hall really does depend on how he performs in the spring uh i do think that the orioles are gonna push him down to the minors and keep him stretched out as a starter Instead of having him on the team as a reliever, that's because he's, I mean, he's made it very adamant about like, I am a starter. The Orioles last year said, yeah, he's up in relief right now, but he's going to be a starter next year. I think they're really going to pursue that one. That's my two cents on it. Uh, But I don't really expect to see him out of the gate uh, for the Orioles inside the rotation. I think you see Grayson Rodriguez there, Dean Kramer, Kyle Bradish, and of course, Colt Irvin and uh kyle gibson yeah we actually have a little surprise about one of those pitchers mm. uh later this week there's a tease That's a nice tease uh <laughs> but i uh, but yeah i think dl hall goes back to the minors you keep him stretched out and then you'll see him probably around may or something like that okay i want to jump to i mean you know we could talk about a lot of these guys in this tier because there are some very interesting ones between uh you know we talked a little bit about dre jameson luis ortiz cody morris tony disco braxton garrett clark schmidt ken waldachuk none of them have jobs at the moment are there any in that tier yeah. that you want to hit upon that are you know they're oh, they're the steven so matzes from before You're so kind you're so kind. I, I, Cody Morris, if he does get a job with the Guardians, I think actually could be a streaming option for you to consider. Uh, good missing four-seamer. Good swing miss four-seamer with a good cutter as well. Um, Clark Schmidt, there's news that just came out that he's adding a cutter as fast puts his, I will not draft a pitcher based on a new pitch yeah, God, yeah. Uh, image, which is like our favorite image right yeah. now. We're going to see, you're going to see us post that a lot. Yeah. Uh, because I mean, it's, it's one of our takeaways from last year was, uh, I think Jeff Zimmerman was talking about it. Someone smart um, that, was, um, that was saying like new pitches are the least important thing for us to focus on. Right. Yeah. And I just think back to like Tyler Glass now adding a changeup or, Chris Archer adding a changeup, and that changeup is like, it's always like ten percent thrown, and they're mediocre or something, right? Yep. Like I hear Brady Singer's, I'm real, really focused on that changeup, and it's like, well, it wasn't very good last year when everyone was talking about it, and yeah, Logan Gilbert is with his slider and changeup last year was like, oh, I've got a really new one, it's exciting and stuff. Maybe now you put that, that incredible overlay of Logan Gilbert with his splitter and four seamer, but it's I don't know, I, I don't know yet. You know, he can't really lean on it at this point because i'm sure there will be some of those that are like oh yeah this is real remember freddie peralta adding a slider that was a game changer for him same with tyler glasnow and maybe that's actually how we should do this as guys who don't have a good breaking ball saying i've got one now i'm going to use it 20 percent of the time maybe that's the nuance that we need to add to maybe i don't know but clark schmidt has a cutter surprise surprise he's a yankee adding a cutter and for clark schmidt that makes a lot of sense because his sinker yeah, it does a good job jamming right-handers, but against lefties, what are you supposed to do? Well, when you have a bad fastball against lefties, opposite-handedness, what you should be doing is throwing a cutter inside. That's the big nullifier. It's what a lot of lefties do against right-handers. Mm. 
We see that a ton. Wade Miley success all the time with cutters inside, right? CC Sabathia did that. Jordan Montgomery tried to do that. Didn't quite work with him. You understand my point. So that could be a way that forces him into the rotation. I would love to see that, not just as a Yankee fan, but I think that Clark Schmidt's breaking balls are really good. And if Clark Schmidt does have success with that cutter, that could be more of a sustainable thing than I think Domingo Hermans, which is a good curveball, but the fastball and changeup are kind of weird. And also, I don't love you know rooting for anyone that has a DV charge on their record. So i not not a fan of that. So I hope that Clark Schmidt does showcase something really cool here with that cutter. Yeah, I dig that. Uh, yeah, there's so much, you know, I keep thinking about like, we're talking about new pitches and how probably everyone was thinking like, well, what about Lance McCullers? Right. And that's like Lance McCullers. That's insane. That's the exception of the rule. A man coming in with a new slider well, and, yes, and having it be as dominant it, as know, it was. But it is a slider, though. It is slider. Mm-hmm. And it also was like a duplicate of his curve. I mean, we like the slider more. POV loves the slider. Sure. That McCullers throws. But he even told us in the talking pitching episode. If you guys haven't heard that one, it's such a good one yeah, from that was last fantastic. year. Um, you can go back and listen to any of those talking pitching episodes, and they're just all evergreen. It's amazing. Uh, he talked about how he would, yeah, that Lance would go in to the clubhouse or the the dugout during the game and say like, okay, which of my pitches are working best, mm. the curveball or the slider, and then just throw that one. Love it. And that to me is more like, well, they're both excellent. So like he wasn't really adding it. It was more of a more of a safety valve, if that makes sense. Yeah. Like a, an, another option when the things weren't working. So um, but yeah, right. Again, a slider adding a slider. Maybe that's the the thing. Well, that we should focus on with a new. Pitch. What an unintentionally beautiful transition as we move to number 127 in Graham Ashcraft. Now, Graham Ashcraft has <laughs> a slider. He has a slider. The news out of camp right now is that he wants to he's been tinkering with it and uh, he's ditched his plans for adding a changeup and might increase the usage of that slider. Now, that's different, right? If, mm. if Graham Ashcraft was like, hey, I'm, I'm throwing a brand new pitch this year, I'd be like, well, let's fix the other pitches. But if he's like, hey, I've got a pitch that by some calculations people love, that's kind of interesting. Now, we should do a podcast up in the future at some point about the differences between PLV and Stuff Plus because I don't see that as a oh, bug. Yeah. I see that as a feature. I think that's like the entire point of different projections. 100%. Systems. The Graham Ashcraft slider is one which Stuff and Pitching Plus enjoys more than PLV does. It actually has his Stuff Plus on his slider as a 141.4, which is absolutely insane. Oh, um, now, the Pitching Plus is average at 100 for him obviously he's got a good amount of sinkers that he throws. He's got, excuse me, a good amount of heaters. He goes with a cutter and a sinker a combined like 70% of the time. Uh, and the cutter has its moments. It's not really a good swing and miss pitch for him. Uh, it's got a good velocity. I'll give him that. You'd think it'd be a little bit better considering he's able to sit 97 with the pitch. The slider again doesn't perform the way that some of these uh, you know stuff metrics would indicate in this sample of last year where it's a 15% swing strike rate which is about league average he's able to pick up strikes which with it uh, as a called strike pitch which is interesting and he is able to mitigate hard contact on it which is really nice if you knew Graham Ashcraft was going to actually do a heavy mix of cutter slider you know maybe 30 30 40 40 or something with a few more sinkers moved in for good measure does that change your thoughts on him or is it fix that cutter first and then we'll talk i mean it's interesting ashcraft is kind of like drew rasmussen uh cutter slider right 
Um, the fastball is better on uh, on Rasmussen's, despite the velocity difference. I uh, I don't know. I think there's such a risk here. It's it was a 15% K rate last year for Graham Rashcraft. I mean that's. I understand that there are things that he could squeeze out from what he's doing right now, but that's a tough hill to climb, right? And the reason pitching plus doesn't like Ashcraft's slider is because the location plus wasn't good. And we agree with that. Uh, there's a lot of bad location um, and command issues with uh, Ashcraft's slider. Still, he had a favorable overall uh, PLV where it's, that is on the ERA scale being a 317. That's solid. That's very good, right? You're happy with that. I. Uh, the problem is that the sinker was a 506. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, that is a PLA. So it's like a 506 ERA uh, on a sinker, which is just no boy. Um, so Ashcraft, I think, has a lot to work on still. And then you throw in the fact that he pitches in Cincinnati. So lower wind chance and a worse home run rate just makes me feel, eh, I don't want to do it. And that's why I put Graham Ashcraft in this. They have a job tier, but at the top of it, because I understand there is a way that he could get out of it um, into the like I, I have these tiers of like, all right, we're not done yet. Like, hey, still extension of the top 100. That's then that goes into if they had a job, which is a super ceiling one. And then now it's like, OK, they have a job like these are the ones that could also jump up further. So you see 127, but it's really kind of like 110 or something. Uh, not too far off. But yeah, I'm not I'm not going after it, especially out of drafts. I feel like it's just too risky, too little reward. He has to do too much to become a fantasy stud at this point. I'm going to go ahead and give you the opportunity to take a, a few minutes of your time to talk to the people who are going to look at um, the projections or, or the positions of these next three guys and say, but wait a minute. They've been very good. They've been giving me great ratios. Their ERA has been fantastic. Martin Perez was legit. We're talking about 128 through 130, which is Ranger Suarez, Martin Perez, and Cal Quantrill. All guys who have flashed elite ratios at some point, right? Like Ranger Suarez into the year with a, a, a 365 ERA. Don't look at the whip if you want to live. Um, and then, of course, Cal Quantrill, uh, you know, has been a guy who every year feels like he overperforms his his uh, his outliers. Right. Between a 289 ERA over 150 innings in 2021 and a 338 last year. And none of these guys cracking the top 100. Have at it. That sounded like you're Orpheus, you know, you're telling Orpheus, don't look don't, back. Yeah, exactly. Uh, at the whip. Um <laughs> But yeah, these are Tobies. We don't draft Tobies, guys. And there's no reason for me in my 12-teamer to chase something that's middling at best. Ranger Suarez is not going to be a top 30 guy this year. He just isn't. He doesn't do enough with what he has. I understand the second half of 2021. That was miraculous, amazing. So happy for him. He had a good playoff run. He was so bad for a lot of the year. First three months of 2022, Ranger Suarez had a 4.33 ERA and a 1.46 whip. I'm glad that he redeemed himself with a 2.95 ERA and 1.21 whip through from July through October. That's great. But even if you get that, like that's the best case scenario realistically. That's still a 1.21 whip and a 20% K rate across 76 innings. I'm glad the 2.95 ERA worked. They're going to be guys that have weird ERAs, and I'm glad. You have for Ranger, we're not going to be chasing that. 
Martin Perez, it was a straight Vargas rule of being in rhythm. And I do not buy that the rhythm is back. And Kyle Quantrill is an absolute enigma. And I don't understand how this works. Uh, I don't think anyone truly understands. And we should not be pursuing that uh, whatsoever. It's just cutters and sinkers. And they, it, it worked out. Um, but I mean, Tim Chang had his debut article on their site called the Cal Quantrill Quandary, which I think is wonderful. You should check that out. It's still just a mystery and I'm not interested. All right. Um, now we move into what should be a tier in and of itself, which is just the Baltimore and Oakland rotation. Um, as we go from <laughs> yeah, Kyle Gibson to Kyle Bradish to James Caprilli and to Paul Blackburn, I, I'm not I am not taking Kyle Gibson in any 12-team league. I am taking him in AL-onlys maybe um, as a late, late, late rounder. I do want to see if the changes that he made with his slider making it more of a sweeper are things that he is going... is something that he's going to build upon. Um, I I understand that the Orioles probably picked him up because he can be an innings eater for them, and I appreciate that. But they turned into a little bit of a pitching factory, so I am curious to see... If maybe for the first time he can reach a different plateau in terms of uh, swings and misses, uh, again, mm-hmm. not something that I'm going to be drafting as a result. Um, and then also Bradish. I mean, there were there were moments where it looked really, really, really good for him. And then there were moments where it was the opposite. Um, talk real quick both about uh, Gibson Bradish and then the two Oakland arms you've listed in James Caprelli and Paul Blackburn. I actually think there's one of these guys that is getting overlooked a ton. I'm going to tell you who that is after this break. So the two Baltimore guys are interesting. You said about Kyle Gibson. I am curious about that. Also, it's a really nice park in Baltimore. And Kyle Gibson has proven over the years, if you get in at the right time at Kyle Gibson, he can provide you value. Uh, With Kyle Bradish, when he had success, to me, it was because his two breakers were really good, the slider and the curve. And I watched those, and I think those could be so filthy. He is just not consistent with those two start to start. The real problem is that the four-seamer is like Corbin Burns's before he said, I need to scrap this and throw a cutter. Because Kyle Bradish has cut action on his four-seamer. And I hate cut action on four-seamers. Why? Because when you're throwing a fastball, you either throw a sinker or a four-seamer. A sinker, the intention is to miss underneath the bat. With a four-seamer, the intention is to miss above the bat. Mm -hmm. So you want to get that induced vertical break. However, if you have cut action, that is moving the ball down a little bit. And because it's not as egregious as, say, a sinker, you're not going to miss under the bat with this thing. So you're just making a four-seamer worse you're reducing the amount it misses above the bat with cut action. I, I don't like it. The only time I, I am okay with it is if you're spotting it down in a way to to right-handers because then you're actually trying to get to the, the end of the bat properly or if you're trying to jam left-handers up and in, right? But Kyle Bradish is not trying to do that. So I, I'm not sold on the heater for Bradish. I think that's a, that's a big issue. And until he fully solves that, I'm not going to be in on Bradish in all likelihood. Now, the Oakland guys, Paul Blackburn has a really nice curveball, and that's about it. I think like he's a worse version of Chris Bassett, in my view. And maybe he can be a Toby at some point, but I don't really want to pursue that. James Caprillion is fascinating. When he was in relief, he threw really hard. It was like 96 uh, in change. And I feel like if he increases the strike rate on his fastball, which was a 61%, 
I know that he has kind of violent mechanics and he kind of chucks it more than he does pitch. But there could be some step of development here for Caprillion where he actually becomes a really good fastball slider pitcher. And I'm not going to rule it out. You know, if you're if you're doing like a best ball draft and you're just looking at these Oakland guys and you just go, whatever. If you need something of upside, I think there is something there with James Caprillion. Like you watch a game and go, wait, this guy throws kind of fast and has a good slider. And it's just a little bit erratic at the moment. So I'm really curious to see how well Jimmy Hat progresses through the year. Uh, the, uh, Jimmy Hat is, is quite good. Um, the next guy that I want to talk about is someone who's a little bit of a surprise. You know, there's always these like really great moments where you're, you know, looking through uh, what someone did the year before and you're like, they did what? They did what? Oh, no. uh, Not this guy. Mitch Keller is that, right? I mean, yeah. Three. <laughs> no. now, listen, if I said to you, okay. This guy had a 140 whip. What do you think his ERA was? You'd be like, I don't know, nine. Uh, and then, no, it was a 391 ERA with a 388 FIP. You know, came in with some very, very good velocity, right? Sitting pretty much 96 in that four-seamer, which is 86 percentile overall. Got a good amount of swing and miss in that four-seamer. Uh, 99th percentile in hard contact, Mitch Keller's four-seamer was. Um he also was interestingly enough, uh, he jumped up that ground ball usage quite a bit. And I was doing some quick maths. He actually got relatively unlucky on those ground balls. He had a 242 BABIP on ground balls last year. And the league average on ground ball BABIP last year was, I believe, considerably lower. Um, yeah, it was, oh, no, it wasn't too much lower. It was 239. So it was a, he was a little bit worse than league average last year maybe there's some opportunity for a better infield defense over in, in Pittsburgh to benefit him. But if he's going to become a fantasy viable pitcher, we probably need significant strides in whip. You probably need a K rate that is not hovering around 20 uh, and a walk rate. That's not hovering around nine. Um, it seems like right now, if you'd be drafting Mitch Keller, you'd be praying that that ERA maintains. And if anything, there's probably a good chance it goes in the other direction this year. So there's something weird about Mitch Keller and his slider. Our uh, PLV loves it. 94th percentile PLV. Uh, quality pitch percentage is 52%, which is 90th, right? Quality minus bad pitch percentage. It's pretty much saying like how often is it you know, good, right? 92nd percentile for Mitch Keller's slider. But the hitter performance, how well hitters did against it relative to what we expect it to do, they still did great against it. A near seven uh, hitter performance, which is 13th percentile. So essentially that's saying to me, either he got unlucky that hitters just happened to do well against Keller's slider, right? The guys that, that went against Keller, they just overperformed when they stepped in the box. And that's where the luck comes in. So he has a plus six hit lock on that slider, which is six more hits than he should have, right? There's the Babip stuff. But then you look at the fastball and the sinker. And then you see, oh, no, minus 11 hit luck on the four seamer, minus five hit luck on the sinker. And those are both near 85 to 90 percentile on those. I, I I don't know where to stand on Mitch Keller. I don't like the fact that he pitches for the Pirates. I don't really want to believe it. Sure, it's Cabrian Hayes, but is that defense really going to be the best thing ever for him? A 321 Babbitt last year was really bad. But then again, it was just a plus three hit luck. Like it wasn't that egregious. Um, so three more hits than you should have. I, I don't know. 
11% swing strike rate on the four-seamer. Does Mitch Keller do enough and consistently enough? But the slider is really good. Yeah, I, I can't do it. I just I just can't do it. And uh, it's going to be one of those things where Mitch Keller is just going to perform well at times and be like, yep, all right, it's the, that day. And I don't want to touch it. He's a cherry bomb. <clears throat> uh, it doesn't... While Hayes might be by uh, outs above average the best defensive, <coughs> excuse me, the best defensive third. How dare you? Fast. I know. I'm sorry. I'm sick. Do you know you're on a podcast right now? What? <laughs> I just muted and coughed up a storm. Um, while Cabrian Hayes may be the uh, best defensive third baseman in baseball, according to outs above average last year, the same cannot be said for O'Neill Cruz, who is the second worst outfielder by, um, excuse me, second worst shortstop in the NL by outs oh, wow. above average last year. Now there's only room for growth there and maybe he does get better, right? Rookie year last year, maybe he gets a little bit better there, but um, maybe, maybe we have talked ourselves into the fact that, okay, Mitch Keller could be a fun streamer. Um, let's see what happens with that infield defense. And maybe there's enough there, uh, but not really someone you want to be taking a, a, a shot on um, in your drafts. The next guy projects to have a better season. Than Corbin Burns, right? Isn't that what you were saying, Nick? Ha! <laughs> no, we 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 fixed this. We realized the problem. It's great. This is why these projections are so good. I uh, but there were moments that were like, hey, wait, I think we still have a favorable projection for this guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's Wade Miley. It's Wade Miley. Across. So he's about a hundred innings. He's gonna start in the rotation to begin the year. He's had, I think, wasn't the last time with the Brewers, last time he was with the Brewers when he had that that terrifying, no, that was with Cincinnati, where he had that like terrifying September. And the Astros, too. No, but where? Astros and then September, and then Reds, yeah. And then the Reds. What, but there was that one year where the yeah. month of September was the worst. Oh, were you saying it happened twice, that he had a terrible September? It happened twice to him. And once in Cincinnati, oh, once in Houston, and once in Cincinnati. So, but hey, we're not drafting for September. You're drafting for yeah. the other months, right? And the other months, uh, yeah, Wade exactly. Miley has been quite good. I mean, listen, you can throw out last year's 37 in example size, but it wasn't terrible for him. It was the same thing as we saw in 2021, which is a 337 ERA with a 397 FIP. So low three ERA with high three FIP. Um, Whip, another guy who's not going to be helping you a lot in that field. You can see why he's next to Mitch Keller, too, because... He's not going to be giving you many K's as well. Now, obviously, he should have a better whip than Mitch Keller. Um, he's at least gotten to 1.22, which is something that we can't really say is true for Mitch Keller. You seem like you're having a, a kind of epiphany about Wade Miley, though, at the moment, or at least finding it's something that's wild. very interesting. Well, Wade Miley, I think one of my favorite, you know, one of the cool things about PLV is that it, it frames how we can visualize pitches better than before um and one of these is we have these quality pitch percentage and bad pitch percentage and i like to focus more on quality just because that means like kind of like the stuff right but bad pitch percentage showcases those guys that are tobies um, but if you have a really low bad pitch percentage it kind of shows like look you're good enough to be something even if it's not like a 10 strikeout game like you should be getting outs or you should just be a successful starter and Wade Miley throws a cutter and changeup, two most thrown pitches. About a th- two thirds of all of his pitches are these cutters and changeups. His cutter is a 96th percentile bad pitch percentage. Mm-hmm. 
So just a quarter of those are bad, according to us. And then his changeup is 98th percentile among all changeups in bad pitch percentage. Wow. So he's throwing fewer bad pitches of changeups and cutters than nearly anyone else in the league, which goes to show why he's just a Toby, why he's the perfect Toby mold, right? Sure, the four-seamer and the slider are not really what we want it to be, and that's fine. Actually, his four-seamer is one first percentile in average pitch, which is pretty fun. That is, he's the best uh, so it's a volatile offering. Yeah, most uh, So he has the least average forcing. The least average, yeah. Um, right. Uh, it's just either really good or, or bad. Um, but that goes to show to like, Wade Miley is this boring, hey, it's not terrible play showcased through his cutter and his changeup. And consider it for the for the Brewers out of the gate. You might want to get a start from, from Wade Miley. Uh, I know they play the Cubs first. I don't expect Miley to go... In that start, uh, but after the after the Cubs, if he's a four or five for the Brewers, that would be the Mets. So fine, I take all of that back. Do not draft Wade Miley for that first one against the Mets, but at least have him on your radar as someone that you might want to stream early in April. Okay, um, let's go on to another guy who this is. Listen, I don't know why I listen to you because you're like we're gonna burn through some of these things and then we always get into it and talk about these guys because they're so interesting. Each one of them has an interesting profile, so interesting and interesting things to talk about. Yeah. Nick, there's no way we're getting through another fifty of these uh, in the next fifteen minutes. I'll tell you that. Much. Well, they, they get they get a lot less interesting fast. Oh, I I disagree because there are interesting things <laughs> about Luke Weaver, who is way later. There are interesting things about <laughs> Casey Mize. Uh, there are interesting things about Andrew. Casey. Andrew Painter. There's plenty of interesting things about these people. Well, okay. Quickly on all those three. No, no, Weaver no. might get. Don't do it. <laughs> I don't want quickly. Fine. I don't want quickly. I want to talk about Michael Lorenzen, who is interesting, right? I mean, he went to that that team that calls itself an organization in, in L.A. That's not the Dodgers. And we didn't really get to see a, a full sample of him, right? It was fewer than 100 mm-hmm. innings. Um, obviously, I've made it known how frustrated I am with that team in terms of, of pitching development. Um, we were excited, though, right? There was some genuine buzz about Michael Lorenzen getting an opportunity to start in L.A. And while the the sample was considerate enough to be able to take it at face value, right? About 100 innings is enough to say, okay, about a 21% K rate didn't fix the walk issues at 11 percent 128 whip very interesting his best since 2019 difficult to kind of measure it accurately though because he had so many appearances in relief and the 424 era is not great especially when it's getting paired with a kind of below average whip and a below average k rate but now he goes to an organization that has shown a little bit more promise in developing pitching um you can have an argument about that, but honestly, anyone shows more promise in developing pitching than 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 the uh, the Angels to me. I'm being too harsh. Reed Detmers was fine, but I don't know you how are. much credit. You really are. They just got a new pitching coach too. Oh, so, so then there you go. So maybe maybe it is that. Um, but Michael Lorenzen going to Detroit. We saw some great things out of Tarek Skubal last year. Obviously, there were some some mishaps as well with some other pitchers. But any interest here whatsoever at 138? Yeah. All right, really. moving on. I mean, he gets the raise. I mean, it's about how it is for a lot of these. Uh, he gets the raise first. I don't think I want to trust him with it. I don't love his slider. Uh, sorry, his sinker. Um, I think Lorenzen needs to do more uh, by with his secondaries, the changeup and the slider. 
uh, if he wants to be successful. One of the things that got us excited was that, oh man, the changeup and the slider both were big whiff pitches in the past. In 2020, they were both above a 20% swing strike rate. Slider has been sub 15%, right around there, but sub uh, last two years, while the changeup did get more success last year, 20% swing strike rate. So if we squeeze those out, maybe that can work, but the slider, sorry, the, man, the sinker and the four-seamer uh, both are too hittable, in my view. 36% hard contact in the sinker, and uh, the four-seamer just 7.5% swing strike rate, 27% CSW. It's not really as overwhelming of a pitch as you want it to be. So he can be a Toby. Like he will be allowed on the Tigers to go as many innings as he wants. He will go games of 100 pitches at times. Lorenzen can do that. He threw 102 in his second or his penultimate start last year against the Athletics. He did it against the Phillies as well in June. So that's the value of Lorenzen. I don't really want to chase it though for 12 teamers. I don't think there is a lot of value in number 139 in Rich Hill. Um, I just do think it is very funny that he started his baseball career um, in in uh, in the I think in the majors. I don't think he uh, did he jump right up. He might have because even when I click on the minor leagues ranking, uh, he he didn't. He went right to uh, Chicago and. Uh, the big leagues in 2005 just thinking how Adley Rutschman was seven years old literally seven years old when when oh, this is fun when Rich Hill debuted uh, there could be innings right because the the Pirates are not the race uh, so they're gonna let him go a little bit longer I don't know if I'm really interested in hearing your projection about Rich Hill I'm more interested in knowing if you think what what do you think will happen first he will retire or my daughter will graduate college Oh, I think your daughter. Yeah, I think she's really right. smart. She's very smart. She's just she's, she's gonna get it when she's like ten. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, his four seamer keeps getting lucky. Plus eleven hit luck last year, which is just insane. But maybe there's something we're missing with it. Honestly, uh, it continues to somehow miss bats enough. Ten percent swing strike rate despite a eighty-eight mile per hour fastball for Rich Hill. And the curveball is a called strike machine. I mean, the 71% strike rate overall last year. Mm. I I don't know. The Pirates are just going to let him throw. And as long as Rich Hill is starting, there are going to be days that he's going to do fine. Yeah. You know, like he's going to still have some success. It's going to surprise us. And he had a 11 strikeout game against the Rays last year with seven and runs and zero and run, uh, zero and runs and seven innings, I should say. So. He just finds a way to do. They did against your Orioles. Yeah. Nine strikeouts, zero runs in six innings. Rich Hill is going to get all the chances. That's nice. Do I want to draft it? Absolutely not. We're going to end with this next couple of guys who, I, I guess the kind of polite way to say it is like good pitchers, bad for fantasy, right? Like good pitchers, mm. guys you wouldn't really mind on the bump on your team but might not be good for fantasy. And that's Cole Irvin, who's in Baltimore now, can be there for a considerable amount of time, can can maybe get you 200 innings, might not have the worst ratios, but it's probably going to have a sub 20% K rate. Marco Gonzalez, don't necessarily know if you want that. Adam Wainwright has flashed promise, right? I mean, like we are only a, a year or so removed from the 305 ERA with a 21% K rate and a 1.06 whip over 206 innings in 2021. Mm-hmm bounced you know regressed as we kind of all thought he would in 2022 but still 
191 innings, 128 whip, so that jumps up. K rate goes below uh, 20% again, and the ERA jumps back up to about 3.71. Is there just not enough viability there for him to be a good fantasy asset for you? A negative 31% Q minus B percentage on uh, Adam Wainwright's sinker. That's kind um, of it's quality minus bad pitch rate. So he had a 90th percentile hit like a negative 16 on that pitch. Um, and now maybe that's something about sequencing that we just don't know about with Adam Wainwright, that he's just so good at figuring out the exact time to throw that sinker and abuse an 85, sorry, 25% called strike rate for it. I think that without Molina, uh, mm. it's going to get worse a little bit. It's one of the rare situations where I think a catcher difference is going to impact a pitcher because he threw so many sinkers that are over the plate. And in my day, when I see locations of sinkers that are so much of the zone, it just doesn't bode well uh, moving forward. X average was 273 last year on that pitch. And I just don't think it gets better for Adam Wainwright as he has, he'll be turning 42 in August. It just doesn't add up. So I'm I'm not interested in going after this. Can I see myself possibly streaming him early in the season? Sure. Why not? You know, his first start of the year is against the Jays. So you're not going to do that one. His second start might be against Atlanta. So you're probably not doing that one either. So assuming he's the opening day starter because it's Adam Wainwright. Uh, but it's, you know, something we might be picking up uh, for a little bit of a run at the end of April or early May. Yeah, it, there is an interesting. Uh, he he seemed to have a, a good amount of success um, in the past couple of years with the sinker by really going glove side with it, uh, and he kind of got away from that last year. Um, yeah, you know, he 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 used to kind of be really good at kind of that that Aranola kind of sinker, um, and it didn't have that success last year that we're used to having. But yeah, I don't know too many guys who go into a forty two season and then revert back to a low three. Uh, ERA. Um, you know what? I, not everybody is Nolan Ryan. Not everyone. That's true. Not everyone's Nolan Ryan. I I lied. I want to at least get to 150. I said that that was going to do it. But see, the, now you understand. Yeah, what I go through. You know. What do you mean? You just want to. There's one more guy. Go. Oh, I can't resist. I want to talk. It's very sieve. It's very sieve of me. Um, <laughs> just one more turn. Just one more turn. Um, don't don't make another Baltimore guy though. No, I'm not. Well, there's you. a few guys that I think we can get to. This is why I was saying okay, that. Cool. I don't even know why. What I, it was my fault. I said, yeah, we'll do 100 to 200, and uh, <laughs> I don't know what I was thinking because there there were guys. It speeds up. There were guys. I, I still disagree. It's, I, I'm not saying it's anyone's fault. I'm just saying we just love talking pitching so much that we should just give into sure. it. Like we're never going to be able yeah, to dedicate. Yeah, that's fair. You know, that's fair. Um, <clears throat> let's stick with the tier of guys who had. <laughs> relatively good seasons relatively recently uh and now we're outside of the top 100 and for good reason especially kind of in this case because we don't know how johnny cueto did what he did last year right 158 innings was his highest since 2017 he put up a 335 era which was his best since 2018 a 379 fip which was the first time his fip dipped below four since 2016 now obviously there weren't any k's he had the lowest uh k rate of his career at 16 percent the lowest uh swinging strike rate since 2019 just kind of all over the place but good for your team i mean he ended up picking up eight wins at 158 starts with that great era now he's in miami what are you thinking 
Katani Cueto, man, he has one of the highest uh, two-strike approaches with four-seamers in the majors. 99th percentile with a 47% four-seamer usage and two strikes. Um, and that's because he saves it and get elevates it and has a 15% swing strike rate on it. It's shocking Yeah, he has a 16% K rate. Uh, the sinker isn't good to me. I'm glad that it worked out for him. Um, he even allowed four more hits than he should have with it last year. Uh, but it's, yeah, it's not a good pitch in my view. The changeup is whatever. And the cutter isn't very good. And that's that's Johnny Cueto. I'm glad it worked for him. I really, really do. I don't think it's going to happen again. And uh, I am not touching this at all. I mean, I, this is the perfect thing for the Marlins because they don't expect 180 innings out of Johnny Cueto. Yeah. And they want a veteran I uh, who can connect with their youth to talk to them more. I mean, I think that's it's makes all the sense to me to ease them in, right? Yuri Perez and you have Braxton sure. Garrett and you have Sixto and you have Edward, Edward Cabrera and Trevor Rogers, like all of these young players. He's a Lizardo. Um, and Johnny Cueto is going to be a good addition to that clubhouse for them. But as a starting pitcher, yeah, no, don't, don't be chasing this. Also, it's the Marlins too. You're not really going to get many wins with us. I, I would not go after Johnny Cueto. Yeah, um, the same can kind of be said for Nick Pavetta, but for different reasons. We saw a career high in innings from him last year at 180, but it was more of the same, which, you know, when you're looking at the end of the year numbers, they kind of don't reflect the kind of volatility that was there, right? I mean, maybe it does. There's a 456 ERA, which is relatively close to what he did in 21. The FIP is relatively close to what he did in 21. The whip isn't too far off. It's actually got a little bit worse because of the Babbitt progression. It's just all to say that it seems like he is, you know, establishing himself for better or worse as a elevated whip guy who's a mid four ERA and the K's took a turn in the wrong direction. But there were moments, right? There were moments last year, certain games that he would start where he'd be like, oh, wow, that's really nice. There was a, a good start, obviously, against Pittsburgh, which isn't saying too much. But I think he also had a pretty good start against uh, the um uh, the Astros at one point too. Yeah, and, uh, he had a complete game against the Astros with one earned run, no walks, and eight Ks. He flashes it. It's just there's no consistency there. Oh man, there there just is not. Uh, plus twenty six hit luck on the curveball for Pavetta, which is the worst in the majors. Mm. Um, which is oof, okay. Uh, he throws it too high is the problem. Thirty three percent high lock on curveballs is ninety first percentile. 11 percentile low lock on curveballs as well. 47% there, which is just, wait, you're supposed to throw curveballs down. And he just doesn't do it enough. Uh, the the slider is hung a good amount as well. And the four-seamer, while it can miss bats at times, 11% swing strike rate for Pavetta's four-seamer, it's just, you know, 32% hard contact, right? And you're not wrong. He's... He's a guy who can go out there and give you nine strikeouts on a given night. It's absolutely possible. But Pavetta is just an absolute cherry bomb, someone you don't want to endure through a full year. He was good for the first like two and a half months or so last year, I think it was. There was a nice little run uh, for Nick Pavetta. It was eight weeks of bliss, as I called it, Mm. in May and June. Um, We're only allowed six long balls in about uh, 1,100 pitches. And that was it. That was why things happened. But then he had 27 <laughs> by the end of the year, 27 home runs. 
yeah, I don't want to do this with Nick Pavetta. He's someone that I, I was hoping by now. I mean, I got was into him like what 2017, uh, when he was a Philly, and I've been waiting for him to get the command and order, and it's just not there. So. I'm not interested at all in Nick Pavetta. Yeah, the same can kind of be true of, uh, or can be said at least for for Yusei Kikuchi, who do not touch this. Yeah, I, I feel so bad for the dude because he does pop up every once in a while on these. Like he, he's very good at getting swings and misses in the zone. Um, he had a weird drop in his ground ball rate last year. I do thought I thought it was so funny last year when people are like, "Can can the Blue Jays do for Yusei Kikuchi what they did?" for Robbie Ray, right? There are all these comps and people are kind of interested to see if that was going to happen. Did not happen. Did not happen for Yusei Kikuchi. Just a, a really frustrating uh, uh, pitcher to roster. There are, you know, like I said, there are moments of this upside, right? There, He, he had a 97 mile an hour strikeout last year, which is the hardest of his career. There was a game, I think, where he picked up like a heck of a lot of whiffs on his... Uh, no, never mind. That change-up game was a couple of years ago. That was two years ago. I was thinking about it. Uh, <laughs> but like I said, there are weird moments where he pops in, but man, the the floor is scary for him. Yeah. Yusei Kikuchi just does not get enough out of his stuff. His slider can be so filthy. And other times he just floats in the middle of the plate. The four-seamer is not good enough. The change-up to me isn't good enough. His command overall is just so inconsistent. The best start I think I ever saw with Kikuchi is where he actually had pitch separation consistently with four-seamers up and then cutters and sliders and change-ups down actually did the Blake Snell blueprint. But that's it. That That's really it. And the, oh man, the strike zone plot for his four-seamer last year looks like a, like a, like an eagle out, you know, ready to go. Or, or maybe a bear trying to scare you or something, right? Like what you're supposed to do with a jacket when you see one. Um, what are you saying? Like a mountain lion. No, that's what you're supposed to do. You see a mountain lion, you don't try to run away from it. You turn around and you open your jacket and you get intimidating, okay. right? Get as big as you can. That's what his strength zone plot looks like. Oh, God. It's not good. It's not what you want. Uh, you say Kikuchi to me is the number five in for, I guess, a couple months or so until Ricky Tetterman is ready to go for the Blue Jays. That's how I see this panning out so don't go pursuing kukuchi in your drafts okay we can end with uh number 150 and josiah gray there are opportunities for him to take positive steps forward especially with that four seamer because i can't i don't want to sound like a jerk but i can't see that four seamer getting too much worse than than it was i mean that four seamer mm-hmm. had a 479 woba last year um, that is in the fourth percentile. It's interesting that the hard contact actually was not as poor as that. It was 33.1, which is below league average. 62% fly ball rate for him on that four seamer in what is now a hitter's park in Washington with a 22% home run to fly ball rate. There's no way that that sticks around, right? There's, there's no way. Um, this is a guy who, you know, he, he doesn't elevate all that much about league average in terms of elevation. Just a lot of stuff coming over the middle of the plate. But the breakers, man, like that that slider, there's upside to that slider, right? He can get whiffs on that slider. 19% swing strike rate on it, mitigates hard contact with it, good WOBA on it overall. Even the curveball that shows upside of being a really nice uh, whiff pitch for him too. But that fastball, it's 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 tough right now. So, yeah, the breakers each had a hard contact rate under 17 percent. 
uh, for Josiah Gray's slider and curveball. There is some stuff to like there, absolutely. But man, yeah, as you mentioned, the four-seamer, first percentile in hitter performance, 17. Uh, the average is a minus 1.6 on a four-seamer. So clearly something is happening that's making these hitters so much better <laughs> against this four-seamer than we think it should be, right? So uh, that tells me that, okay, PLV, you are missing something about Josiah Gray's fastball that makes it so easy to hit. Um, and yeah, that's not going to change overnight. This, there's something innately weird about this. He allows so many home runs, allows all these long balls. You just can't go after it, especially when it's not a winning team too. So you're not even trying to chase wins as much. Uh, seven to 10 last year and 28 starts for Josiah Gray. I'm not interested. I think it's far too risky uh, to go after drafting him in, in any of your 12 team leagues. And he'll also get Atlanta to start the year. So just don't do this. Yeah. Yeah. I'm with you. Um, all right, Nick, we did it. We got through the top 50. We did of it. 100 we didn't even 200. talk about Griffin Canning, who's a super sleeper for the Angels. Well, I guess we'll have to talk about him in the next podcast, which is apparently now going to be <laughs> 150 through 200 and maybe bleeding into 200 yep. through 300. But I'm telling you, I don't think it's going to happen because we just love these men so much. Uh, I mean, look at all these great. <laughs> there's so many good prospects at the back end here that we could talk about. Yeah. Um, you know, oh, yeah, we didn't even get to the prospect here. No, we didn't. Daniel Espino, Yuri Perez. Like is super hurt. <laughs> there's 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 a lot. There's a lot. There's a lot here. <laughs> I mean, that came out I think this morning. Espino getting hurt. So oh, I'll, that's I'll right. I forgot. Leave. About that. Yeah. Um, you're on the West Coast. I get it. Yeah. Yeah. Waking up early. Um. All right. That is going to do it though for episode number three seventy seven of On the Corner, the official PitcherList.com podcast. I'm your host Alex Fast, and I'm Nick Pollock, and we'll talk to you guys next week. <laughs>